Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. There will come a day when my sermon introduction does not include a movie reference, but it is not this day. (laughs) When I was in college, I had a friend who I will call Mary. Mary was an international student who was a part of the campus ministry that I went to. And because of the culture in which Mary was raised, uh, she had been uh, exposed to Jesus' life very little. And so somewhere along the way, either uh, Mary asked or one of our friends suggested that we watch the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Um, Now, if you're familiar with that movie, uh, then you know that The Passion of the Christ quite graphically uh, portrays the suffering that Jesus endured leading up to his crucifixion and then also portrays his crucifixion as well. It's an extremely intense movie uh, if you have never seen it before. And for that reason, it's not one of those movies that you can really, you can watch and then just go about your day as normal after watching it. So anyway, one night, uh, Mary and some of our friends got together and we watched uh, The Passion of the Christ. And after watching it, I gave Mary a ride back to her apartment. Now you need to know about Mary that she is probably the most exuberant person I've ever met. <laughs> like smiling all the time, like so positive, so much enthusiasm. But on that 10-minute car ride back to her apartment, I, I saw her personality as subdued as I ever saw it. Her eyes were swollen and bloodshot from crying. And for, for most of the car ride, she just stared straight ahead of her, out of the window shield, saying nothing. And I said nothing, too. I I didn't didn't know what to say. And I just wanted to give her space to process. And so we drove in silence through the dark, down South College Street, past the University Art Museum, past a dozen or so typical college town restaurants, When finally, Mary said, I don't understand. I don't understand why it had to be that way. Why did Jesus have to suffer that way? Why couldn't God have done it another way? To be honest, I don't remember what I told Mary that night. But her question has stuck with me. Because it's a good question. Why couldn't God have done it another way? Why did Jesus have to suffer so greatly? Those are the questions that I want us to consider this morning. If you are a guest with us this morning, once again, I just want to say welcome. Uh, My name is Michael Waldrop. I am the student minister here at the Round Rock Church of Christ, uh, which means I get to work closely with our awesome 6th through 12th graders, some of whom have been helping lead worship this morning. Um, Zane Witcher, our preaching minister, is out of town uh, this morning. Uh, Zane has been in the middle of a series called In the Moment, and Zane is going to pick that series back up uh, next week. Uh, But for uh, this morning, 
uh, we turn our attention to John chapter 3. But before we turn our attention there, uh, if you would pray with me. Triune God, would you give all of us attention to hear clearly what you are saying to us? Would you give us humility to admit that there are areas in which we need to grow? And would you give us courage to be transformed in the way you desire to transform us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all honor and all glory is yours, now and forever. Amen. As uh, Renee mentioned just a few moments ago, uh, the passage that she read uh, was John chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. Uh, Now you should know uh, that this passage comes in the middle of a particularly mysterious conversation uh, between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And uh, Jesus has been uh, trying to explain to Nicodemus what must occur for a person to enter the kingdom of heaven. But just to be honest, Nicodemus is is struggling to track with Jesus. He's he's, um, pretty confused and expresses that confusion. Uh, And so in a very Jesus-like way, uh, Jesus responds to his confusion just by saying more mysterious things. Um, And in the middle of Jesus' response are two verses that I I really want us to to hone in on this morning, Uh, specifically verses 14 and 15. And so uh, once again, uh, these are those verses. Jesus is speaking, and, and he says this. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, two quick qualifying point, clarifying points, I should say, uh, about these verses. Uh, First thing, uh, this title, Son of Man, Son of Man. Uh, There's a lot more that could be said about that title, but for our purposes this morning, uh, I'll just say this. It's just a title that refers to Jesus, right? So when when Jesus says Son of Man, he's talking about himself. Second clarifying point. Jesus refers to this instance where Moses lifts up a serpent in the wilderness. Now he's referring, Jesus is referring to a story from early on in the Bible, uh, Numbers chapter 21 to be specific. Uh, and I'll just be honest, it's kind of a weird story. It's a, it's a little odd. Um, the Spark Notes version is this. Um, Moses, uh, who was the leader of the people of Israel at the time, uh, follows God's orders to make a snake out of, out of bronze. And then he, he lifts it up on this pole so that any time that an Israelite is bitten by a poisonous snake, that Israelite will look at the bronze snake lifted up on the pole, and they'll live instead of dying from the snake bite. Like I said, it's, it's a little bit of a weird story. But for the purposes of the context of our passage this morning, G- Jesus' point is this. He's saying that just as the Israelites found life by looking to that bronze snake that was lifted up on the pole, so, so all people will be able to find eternal life 
by looking to Jesus when he is lifted up on the cross. Right? Jesus is saying that eternal life will be found by people looking to him when he is lifted up on the cross. But I want to highlight Jesus' kind of specific word choice in these verses. You, You may notice that he doesn't say that the Son of Man might be lifted up. He doesn't even say that the Son of Man will be lifted up. No, instead he says the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus says that if, if he is going to offer eternal life to the world, he must be lifted up on the cross. And it's at this point that Mary, from, from my story earlier, her question rushes back to me. But, but Jesus, why? Why must the Son of Man be lifted up? Why couldn't God do it another way? Just uh, to... Be completely clear, uh, here, here is Mary's question and my question in a little bit more detail. The question is this, why couldn't God rescue humanity in another way other than through the suffering and death of his son? Why couldn't God rescue humanity in another way other than through the suffering and death of his son? I have to, I find myself asking God, like, God, I don't, I don't get this. Like, like, why not just snap your fingers? I mean, you're God. You could just snap your fingers and fix it all, right? Like, you spoke and creation came into being. Like, it seems a lot more expedient to me for God to have just, like, shouted, be healed to the universe and let the universe be healed. And in fact, I'm I'm convinced that God could have done it another way. Right? It it seems logically possible to me. God is God. He makes the rules. He's the author of the story. God could have chosen to do it another way. And frankly, a way that in a way that would have been without so much trouble. God could have done it without taking on a human body without living and loving for over 30 years, without going to the Garden of Gethsemane and and sweating blood over anxiety of what he was about to experience. He could have done it without being arrested, without being betrayed and spit upon and whipped mercilessly, without having sharp thorns jammed down into his head, without being nailed to a piece of wood like we would pin a piece of paper to the wall with a thumbtack. God could have done it in a way, could have rescued humanity in a way without going through so much mess. And so my question shifts a little bit. So God, why didn't you do it another way? If, if, if it was possible to do it in another way, why did you choose to do this to rescue humanity in a way where Jesus had to suffer so greatly? Let me tell a story that I think will uh, allow me to speak to that question. Uh, so once again, when I was in college, on, uh, I went on spring break uh, in 2013. It was March of 2013. And I went to... Uh, 
northern Georgia to hike the very beginning of the Appalachian Trail with my cousin Will and my uncle Jay. Now, um, our plan was to hike over 40 miles in four days. And that's your hint that this story does not end happily. <coughs> sure enough, uh, in the afternoon of the second day, uh, it starts to rain. And it doesn't stop raining. It rains all the way through the night. And by the time that uh, it gets dark, the temperatures have dropped into the 40s. I mean, it is very cold. And by the time we have stopped for the day, we are very cold and very wet. Now, normally, that wouldn't have been like that big a deal. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, through just some, some bad luck, but also mainly just a really foolish decision on my part, uh, we only had one two-person tent for all three of us. Just in case you didn't catch that. Three persons, two-person tent equals not good. Re really bad. Um, and, and that's especially true because like, if you've ever like, used a two-person tent, you know that it's like a one-and-a-half-person tent, right? Like, like even for somebody who's pretty small like me, I'm like, one-and-a-half persons? Like, one-and-a-half toddlers? Like, who designed this? Anyway, um, suffice it to say uh, that it was one of the most miserable experiences of my life. Uh, you know, we can't sleep outside unless we want to die from hypothermia. And so we all crammed into that tent. Elbows in backs, knees in thighs. We broke every rule of personal space ever established. It was terrible. <laughs> um, and while we had been quite cold and uh, wet on getting into our coffin, I mean, excuse me, our tent, um, after about an hour or so, because of our body heat and because of how much moisture we had brought into the tent, it felt like it was 85 degrees and 95% humidity. I mean, it was so hot and muggy in this tent that I, I sucked cold air from the outside through the mesh in the side of the tent because I was so desperate to just get a little bit of cool air. I laid there awake for six or seven hours, just desperately wanting to fall asleep. And if, you, if you've ever been in a situation like that, it's just terrible. Like when you so desperately want to fall asleep and you cannot get to sleep. And I laid there without any hope of the days to come being any better. We still had over 20 miles to hike. I'm like, we, darn it, we've just got this like one, one and a half person tent. Like this is going to be miserable. And I'm just laying there mad at the world that I have to spend my spring break this way. And as I'm laying there, a picture pops into my mind. And it was this picture. Perhaps uh, you have seen this picture before. Uh, this is a 1791 uh, diagram of the Brooks slave ship. And it demonstrates the just almost unthinkably uh, horrendous conditions in which enslaved peoples were transported during the Atlantic slave trade. Uh, in fact, one, uh, one source that I read uh, said that uh, over one, more than one out of every ten people uh, would not survive the journey on, on ships like, like these. 
And as I thought, as I thought about this picture, and it like really sunk in that like this didn't happen in some like fictional book. This wasn't in some movie. Like in reality, human beings had laid there looking up at the wooden beams of the deck above them, packed in tight, elbows and backs, knees and thighs, for months and months, nauseated by the rancid smells and the complete lack of hope. I, I found that thought impossible. Surely no one could ever endure something that terrible. Surely a human being would just stop being in the face of that kind of suffering. And as I, as I laid there in that tent, just getting the like most tiny, like meager taste of what these precious human beings endured, it was too much for me. I had to stop thinking about it. Because if I had let my imagination keep going, I think I just would have come undone. Like, I think I would have gone crazy. Unfortunately, this is just one example of so many examples throughout history of suffering that is so great that it threatens to drive us mad just thinking about it. And suffering like that, again, unfortunately, it continues today, right? It shows up in round after round of chemotherapy treatment. It shows up in incomprehensibly gruesome gang violence. It shows up in parents verbally abusing their children for not doing as well as they'd hoped in sports or in school. It shows up in depression that just will not go away, no matter what we do. It shows up in loved ones dying unexpectedly. It shows up in global pandemics. Suffering shows up in more ways than I could ever name. Why, God, did Jesus have to suffer so greatly? I think at least one answer to that question is because well, we suffer so greatly. Why did Jesus have to suffer so greatly? Because we suffer so greatly. Why did the Son of Man have to be lifted up on the cross? Well, because humans have been lifted up on crosses. Why did the Son of Man have to suffer and die? Well, because humans have and will continue to suffer and die. But catch this. Because God took on human flesh in Jesus, and because Jesus suffered the way he suffered, and, and died the way that he died, when you and I go through the very worst that life has to offer, and we cry out, God, it hurts so much! God can reply. I know, I know, it does hurt so much. I have been there too. I have been there too. This is a glorious and beautiful thing to me. 
that God does not cheat suffering. Even though he could have. He could have held himself apart from it. He could have said, no, I'm going to be immune to that. But out of love for us, his suffering creatures, he he says, I'm going to step into suffering with you. I'm going to let it, I'm going to let the pain, I'm going to let all the evil, I'm going to let it touch me too. Let it affect me. And so if you take nothing else away this morning, I hope that you take this away. That out of love, Jesus suffered so greatly because we suffer so greatly. Out of love, Jesus suffered so greatly because we suffer so greatly. In a uh, well-known passage uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, uh, Jesus is referred to as our high priest. Uh, and then this verse goes on to say this about him. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Now, I realize that this passage is, is talking about temptation. But nonetheless, it it suggests to us the suffering that Jesus endures. For For it reminds us that Jesus took on the full human experience, all of it, including the worst parts, including temptation and suffering and mosquitoes and when you bite your lip, right? From, from small inconveniences to the, to the worst pain. He gets it. He understands. And to that end, uh, one of our middle schoolers uh, was actually recently uh, wrote a description of God, of who, of who God is. And as part of that description, this middle schooler uh, wrote this. God has a quality that truly sets him apart from other gods in other religions. Empathy. Because Jesus came and lived on earth fully human and fully God, he can join in our struggles and get what we are feeling. Amen, right? Amen. God gets it. He gets the pain. He gets the loneliness. He gets the mosquitoes. And it is God's ability to get it. Because he's, he's lived it. Because he's experienced it. It's God's ability to get it. That, to me, is, is actually one of the best responses to one of the thorniest questions there is for those of us who believe in God. And that is this question. How can a good, powerful, loving God allow such pain and evil to happen? This is called the problem of evil by theologians and philosophers. And I admit, I found myself asking this question a little bit more often over the past couple years. I would imagine that uh, for plenty of people in this room, 2020, 2021, for that matter, have 
caused you to ask this question a little bit more often. And if you haven't asked this question before, I I suspect that something in life will cause you to ask this question at some point. Right? Why? Why would a good God allow such pain and evil to harm the life of the world, to harm your life, to harm my life? I don't know. I don't know. I have some guesses. I have some propositions that I don't have time to get into this morning. But ultimately, it it remains a mystery to me. But I do know this, that God and Jesus allowed the same pain and evil that harms the world to harm him. God and Jesus allowed the same pain and evil that harms the world to harm him. And while that doesn't clear up the mystery to me, it does help me bear the mystery a little bit better. I'll close this way. As I was preparing uh, this sermon, a, um, I don't know, an, an image, uh, a short story, I, I don't know, kind of made its way into my imagination. Uh, I think it was very much influenced by the hiking experience that I shared a few minutes ago. Uh, because it, in, in this image, I, just, I saw myself sitting kind of huddled down Surrounded by humans, as far as I could see. Men, women, and children, like, everywhere, all around me. And we're sitting there, and it is, it is almost freezing cold outside. It's in the, in the 30s or 40s, and frigid rain is just pouring down upon us. Just relentlessly. So much so that water has, has risen up past our shins. We're just sitting in it. It's piercingly cold. And I admit, I'm ticked. I'm furious. This is misery. And then I see him. Just like a few people over from me, there there is Jesus. And he is sitting in the same water, and he looks just as miserable and in just as much pain as the rest of us. And I make eye contact with him, and I, I give him this like confused look, and then I half ask, half curse. Why don't you just turn all of this off? You'd be a lot warmer too, you know? And he looks back at me and through chattering teeth he says, trust me. Trust me. It's worth it. And I just stare back at him not understanding. It makes zero sense to me, Jesus, how this could be worth it. And yet, and yet, he's out here in it with us. He's out here with us in it. And remembering that makes me a little less mad at him. Remembering that makes me a little bit more apt to trust him, even when I do not understand. I hope the same is true for you. Amen.